Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us today. This week's message is sponsored by the Harrison Audiovisual Production Team, working to provide excellence in lighting, sound, and visuals at Harrison Church. With the busiest season of the year approaching, all help is appreciated. For information on ways that you can serve or get involved, email audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Thank you, Charles. And Lord, what a wonderful name your name is. And I pray that we will always know that we are the bearers of that name, which means we have a responsibility to uphold your reputation in the world, which is what we're going to pretty much get into uh, this morning. But uh, man, there's some exciting things happening. Did you see the playground? Yeah. You know, we got the beds built last weekend. I mean, great things are happening here. And uh, if you are visiting with us here at Harrison Church, I'm so glad that you came. I'm Pastor Shane. I uh, do most of the preaching here. Pastor Kyle is away. He's my associate, and he is at a family camping trip. He's probably preaching right about now to the people who went on that camping trip. So we want to be thinking about them. So great things that are happening. What we're uh, beginning today is a new sermon series uh, calling, uh, we're calling this what, Majoring in the Minors. And uh, what I want us to do for the next few weeks is to kind of study what we call the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to get into what that means in a a moment. But uh, these are the kinds of prophets that we don't really, they don't get a lot of airtime in church. And so uh, today we're going to start with the first minor prophet, really one of the first prophets to ever preach to Israel. And his name was Amos. Now I got to tell you in advance that we're starting out because he was the first one. He is definitely the prickliest of all the minor prophets. He's sort of a curmudgeon, but for the good things. But we're going to be dealing with a little bit of a curmudgeon this morning. So I'm going to be reading from his fifth chapter. There will be words on your screen here. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to kind of tell us what is Amos really getting at a little bit later. So Amos chapter 5. And I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of our scripture today. Amos chapter 5. Now this is Amos preaching. Back in the 700s B.C., about 700 years before Jesus. And he says this. He says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. So he's speaking to the people of God. God says, Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Now this is God still speaking. And God says, My people hate the one who reproves in the gate. We're going to get back to what in the gate means. And they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, all right, remember I said he's the prickliest. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Boy, he's just getting warmed up. And listen to what God says here through the mouth of Amos. I hate. I despise your festivals. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But, and here's that great phrase, 
Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Okay, Amos. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, so uh, one of the things that um, you learn pretty quickly after you graduate from seminary is the utter importance of planning worship. I've read a lot about worship. I've read about what people expect in worship. And what people are saying they are expecting when they come to worship is they are expecting an experience. And uh, what I have discovered over these years of ministry is that, man, I'm going to tell you, it takes a lot of planning and coordination to give people the worship experience that they have come to expect. And And I'll look over here. You see all this bread? All right, it's World Communion Sunday. We'll get back to that. Isn't this wonderful? But this doesn't just happen out of magic. This doesn't just magically appear. I mean, there were people who were working behind the scenes who set things up like this, who make sure that the altar looks nice. And I can't get anybody to take credit for this beautiful altar this morning. They've got to be out here somewhere. Yeah, but this matters. And it is a communion Sunday. Now, you think about the planning that goes, yes, 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 yeah. Thank you, whoever you are. You know, but it, it, you, know, you think about it's a communion Sunday today. Now, when you're planning a communion Sunday, you've got to think about the timing, You've got to think about all kinds of, do we, do we have enough people recruited to serve communion? Do we have enough bread? Well, clearly we've got enough bread today. I will tell you this, speaking of communion, one of my uh, uh, practices is that uh, I will do the blessing of the bread, and uh, I will not break the bread until after I have blessed it. Some people break it while they're blessing it, I break it after I have blessed it. Well, you can imagine our consternation just a few Sundays ago when someone accidentally broke the bread before a service, and uh, we had to huddle up, and they told me about this. We had to call an audible and had to triage this. And I said, all right, everybody calm down, calm down. Here's what we'll do. I said, I will, uh, I'll keep the bread just wrapped in the linen, and then I'll hold it up in the linen, and hopefully nobody will notice that it's already been broken. And you know what? We pulled it off, and nobody noticed. It's, it's about what it means to have, you know, quality worship. We want to look like we know what we are doing. And then, you know, if, if you're planning worship, here, the sermons, oh my goodness, they are so critical. I've, I've learned, I've, I have to plan my sermons way out in advance so that the musicians can know what I'm preaching on so they can match the music with the theme for the Sunday. You know, I'm actually thinking about doing a, a series in January on the book of Revelation. I don't know. Y'all have to tell me what you think about that. <laughs> so, oh, oh, we'll go. Now, well, anyway, so you've got to plan all of this out. And I tell you what, I do. I work really, really hard to make sure that my sermons sound like actual news, like something interesting, maybe you've never heard before. Yeah, there is nothing worse. I used to be a lay person. There is nothing worse than getting up on a Sunday morning, getting dressed, coming to church, and then hearing some sermon with a bunch of cliches and dumb little stories that, you know, that everybody has heard before. You know, I try to make it interesting, and you got to do it in 20, 25 minutes. Otherwise, you're going to kill people with boredom. You know, they can't plug in that long. And it's, it matters, right, what the sermons are doing. It's about quality mu- uh, worship. And then there is the music. Here, here's what I have discovered about music. Nothing can ruffle the feathers of a congregation or can split a congregation quite like the music. This is why we have a contemporary and traditional service here at Harrison Church. Because we want you to have a choice. So you can go to the service that suits your worship preferences, right? 
I mean, some people like it very formal. I get that. Some people like worship very informal and relaxed. Now, this matters to the excellence of worship. I will tell you when I'm planning the worship and we're going through all this is that I always try to match the music. And Charles does the same thing. But I bet you once a month I go around and I will ask, hey, do the people know this song? Is this a familiar song? Because I have learned that you have to strike a fine balance between familiar music and unfamiliar music. You give people too much unfamiliar music, you are risking a riot on your hands, okay? This matters. And so we got to plan all this, and then we have to ask, are the greeters strategically placed? Do the ushers know the cue when to collect the offering? Hospitality, I emphasize to you again, hospitality will make or break a church. I will remind you what the studies indicate, that most people visiting the church for the first time will make up their mind whether they're coming back. Do you remember this? Within the first five minutes of walking onto the campus, five minutes. we got five minutes to do this right. This matters. One of the things that we do here at Harrison Church is that if you visited with us a couple of times, here's a heads up for you. We, we tend to send out a worship survey to the people, kind of get their feedback. And I will tell you this, I want everybody to be satisfied, but there is a question that I really want them to answer, (laughs) that they're satisfied, and it's the question about worship. What did you think of worship? Were you satisfied, dissatisfied? And it breaks my heart when people are dissatisfied with the worship. Now, you've got to get all of this right. Remember a few weeks ago when I told you about the comment one family made in a worship survey? Were some of you here for that? And they talked about how they have not gone to church anymore. They're staying at home and eating oatmeal pancakes in their jammies, and they think that's radical discipleship. Well, anyway, i got to share with you uh, one other uh, person who responded to this same worship survey. Here's what he said. This is his critique. He says, worship needs to put smiles on people's faces. It's simple marketing, people. If I had a great time, I am going back for more. If I had plain mashed potatoes and lumpy gravy, I'm not going back for seconds. You need to add the garlic in worship. The peppers. The rich brie cheese and those potatoes and in the worship to set the hook. Yeah, that's how you critique a worship service. Right? It's about garlic, and it is about excellence and quality and all of these things. This is what we have come to expect. <laughs> well, imagine my discomfort when dealing with our lesson this week. Because we have just heard from the prophet Amos, one of the very first prophets to preach in Israel. If you understand Amos, you will really understand the rest of the preaching of the, pro- uh, the prophets. <laughs> And here comes Amos this morning, giving us some feedback on our worship services. Only Amos says, it's God's feedback on the worship service. And what did God write on his feedback survey form? Well, let me share this with you. God says, I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, your worship service. Take away from me the noise of your music and your songs. Your sermons are terrible. Your songs make me sick to my stomach. It's terrible, but let justice roll down like waters. 
and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now imagine having to take that kind of feedback to the worship committee on the fourth Sunday of the month. You know, um, we call Amos a minor prophet. The reason we call the prophets minor, we have them, is that actually their, their preaching is shorter than the preaching of, say, Jeremiah or Ezekiel. If you compare the book of Amos with the book of Isaiah, for instance, Amos is short. It's only about nine chapters. You can read this man, in an hour or two. The rest of the prophets have a much longer book, so that's why they're called minor prophets. It's the length of their sermons or the length of their books. But if you think about Amos, I mean, his message is, ma- it is major indeed. Now, I want us to emphasize over the next few weeks when we're talking about prophets, this is important to remember, when we hear the word prophet, what we think of people who are predicting the future. That's what a prophet does. They predict the future. The prophets of Israel did not do a lot of predicting so much as they did a lot of warning. What the prophets saw is like, here's, here's what God called God's people to be. Like, here's the flame. We're, we're called to be these kinds of people. But then the prophets noticed the contradiction between how the people were called to be and how they were actually living. So you can go back and read the Torah, the law of Moses. You know, God called his people to care for the vulnerable, to create a just society, you know, to care for the poor, all of these things. And yet what Amos noticed is that, wait a minute, there, there's some dissonance here. It doesn't sound like it's in tune. And so Amos believes that things are falling apart in Israel. Now, here's what's important about the preaching of Amos. Amos was actually preaching during a boom time in Israel. It was like Israel's gilded age. Bull market. Lots of prosperity. The people of Israel were saying, let the good times roll. And here's Amos warning them that things are are falling apart. But see, what Amos noticed is that, yeah, it was a good, good thing for the people of Israel for, for a small few Remember the, the pyramids of Egypt? I think I've said this before that, you know, Israel was not supposed to be a pyramid scheme where you had just a few enjoying life on the top and the base, the wide base, not really enjoying that prosperity. And, and Amos saw the contradiction. This is what was happening in Israel, that you just had a few who were enjoying the goods while the rest were really suffering. Now, so we can get to the understanding of what Amos is preaching on throughout his whole book. I've got a couple of things I want us to look, like, uh, look at. Amos, if you read his prophecy, he chides the people of God. He is saying to the people, God is going to punish you for at least three things. Here's the first scripture I want us to put on the screen. This is in chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They who trample on the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. All right, so what is he getting at? What uh, Amos is referring to is a crediting creditor system in ancient Israel where there were some people who did not have enough money to buy shoes. And so what they had to do is they had to borrow the money. And then they couldn't pay the money back because they had no money. And then the people who were profiting off of this were selling the poor into debt slavery. So that's what was going on. These people were being sold into slavery because they couldn't pay the money back. So that's the first thing. Amos comes out right out of the gates and says, this is wrong. God's people should not be a part of this. All right, here's another scripture, the next one, in chapter 8. 
Hear this, you who trample on the needy. That's, that's Amos' phrase. And bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath day so that we may offer wheat for sale. We will make the ephah small and the shekel great, and we will practice dis- deceit with false balances. So if you look at that question, what is he chiding the people of God about? What are they wanting to do? Why are they wanting the Sabbath day to end? So they can make some money. So they can open their stores. Okay? And then what, Moses, uh, what Amos is saying is not only are you not consecrating the Sabbath, you can't wait to open up your business so that you can mark up your prices. And then that hurts the poor even more. Okay? All right, here's the third one. And it's what we actually read here. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Now, if you've got your Bible, I want you to underscore in the gate. It's not a gate like, you know, we have that little orange fence around the playground still. It's not that kind of gate. The gate in ancient Israel was the place where legal disputes were settled. Judges were called to come to the gate and settle legal disputes. Well, evidently, Amos is saying the judges who are supposed to administer justice fairly, they're taking bribes. And, of course, their renderings are tilted in the favor of whom? The rich, those who can pay them off for this. So these are the three things that Amos says God will punish the people of God for. And what the problem is, is that Amos is saying that God's people are pretty much accepting this kind of society. They're just writing it off saying, hey, this is just the way it works. This is just how it is. This is how it works. And Amos is saying, no, that can't be it. But the people where God was saying, but yeah, Amos, have you been to our worship? They're great. Our worship services are wonderful. We got some great preaching, great music, All of our feedback and our surveys, Amos, have been very, very positive. But Amos comes and says that God hates your worship services. You know, it might actually be the case that you and I can leave a service like this and feel pretty good. Whereas the Spirit of God can leave a service like this and feel contempt. What is the worship that God really wants? We might say, I don't know, should we use technology better? We've got a children's choir. Let me go down the list. But Amos says the worship God wants is let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now here we're getting to the heart of the minor prophets. Justice, we're going to talk about this. Justice in the biblical times meant that there were not people who were doing very, very well at the expense of people who were not doing very well at all, that there had to be some sharing among them. That's what that means. That's the justice it means. And I want you to notice something about this image of the stream. Let righteousness flow like a what? Ever-flowing stream. So what is Amos actually getting at to the people of God? What he's saying is that this idea that God has called you to care for the most vulnerable, this should not be a seasonal thing. It shouldn't be a part of your life when the time is right. You know, we've got December coming up in a, in a couple of months. You know, we all feel like justice for the poor in Christmas time. What Moses is saying is that this needs to be a constant, ever-flowing, non-stop way of life. It never stops. Not just seasonal. 
But this is what we are called to be about. And the true worship of God cares about justice and will not settle for a society in which the inequalities that they were seeing exist. Of course, it's hard to kind of import what Amos is saying on our world, right? Mm. Isn't it amazing how relevant these guys are? All right. I want to let you in. Let me get real with you for a second. I, I like to do this because you just need to know. I tell you, we preachers, when we see you leave for worship and there are days of the week where Pastor Kyle and I or any preacher will do this, and, and, and what we'll do is we will ask ourselves, hey, is this doing anything? It's like, are, 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 you're, are you different as a result of what we do in this space? You know, I, I sometimes always ask you, like, what is the shelf life of a sermon? How long does a sermon really last? You know, does it last till you get to the marquee and say, where are we going for lunch? And then it's gone. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember last year there was a, uh, a member of the church, and I, I told him, I said, I'm kind of struggling with what to preach on Christmas Eve. Because, you know, we get the same material every, every year. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And uh, he said to me, why don't you preach what you preached last year, the year before? And I said, well, I don't remember what I preached last year, the year before. He said, exactly. Nobody remembers what you preached. Just preach it again. <laughs> you need to know I did not preach the same sermon. No, but we, 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 we ask this question, like, what, what, what are we, we doing here? Now, we only see you on, on Sundays primarily. And then we ask ourselves, like, really, what, what's going on with you? through the week. I mean, what are you doing? Like, how, how do you spend your time? What, what do you spend most of your time caring about? Like, this, this matters to God. I mean, what, what Amos is saying is that worship without a changed way of life, worshiping this God without also caring about the things this God cares about is an absolute sham. This is an insult to heaven. This is the kind of worship that the Lord despises. I mean, you, you think about what God cares about. I mean, we come into this service every week, and, and, and we keep hearing over and over again how God truly cares about the most vulnerable people in our world. God really does care about the poor and, and what's happening to them. And my, I ask you, I mean, do you really care about this? Do you, do you spend your time thinking about how can I care in my own life about the most vulnerable people? Or are you like the rest of our society that just wants to blame the poor for being poor so we can all justify the life that we are living without having to change it? That matters. I mean, we come in here every Sunday and we just worship this God and he's full of mercy and grace and we've been singing about God's grace and his forgiveness for us. But my question to you is, and it would be Amos's question, are you merciful? I mean, if we did a reference check on you, I mean, with the people that we called, say, very merciful, she is. Very merciful, he is. I mean, we come into this space and we worship this God who is so generous and he is so giving of, of God's self and everything about it. And everything's a gift. But my question to you is, like, are you this way? Like, are you really a sharer in your life? Are, do, or, or are you more of a, on the hoarding side of things? This is completely incompatible. And what Amos is saying is that what we should be about in worship is not just worshiping God. We want our lives to make sense in this worship space. And this matters 
to God. I mean, we come, we come to church, and I know what's what we do. I, we come in, and we leave, and we review what happened, and we ask, well, was the worship any good? Did I like the music? Did I like the sermon? And well, what we do is that you and I, we, we critique the worship, but what God does is he critiques the worshipers. We want to ask, was the worship any good? But what God would ask you is, are you going to be any good for having worshipped? Is your life going to look different? I mean, I'm meddling now, but I mean, when you go out shopping, do you ever like ask God, Lord, do you want me to spend my money on this? Does that ever cross your mind? Do you ever think about the businesses? And that's what Amos was talking about. Are there, do you ever think, like, is this business making its money on the backs of the poor? Am, am I feeding this system? Now, this matters. Do you ever do that? You know, we, it's World Communion Sunday. We're about, you know, five minutes away from, from breaking bread together. And it's World Communion Sunday. And this is the Sunday of the year where the church wants all the, all the churches in all of Christendom, for all the people to understand that we are all one in the body of Christ, regardless of our race, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our ethnicity, we're supposed to be world communion people. But I ask you, are you a world communion person through the week? Is your life really about people who aren't like you, but that's my brother and sister? Or are you more on the side-taking issue, the anti-communion? Where are you? All these things matter. It's not the worship that God cares about. It's what we do with it in our lives. You and I, we get so caught up into what, we go, what goes on here, the worship, the music, everything, and, and I, I care about this. It is one of my jobs. I, I have to critique this. I want this to be excellent. I want the feedback to be positive. But we need to start caring about God's feedback on our worship as well. There may be churches out there whose worship services compared to ours is like clanging uh, tin cans for a whole hour. Bang, 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 bang. But it's music to God's ears because they're living through the week what they're worshiping. We want the worship to be excellent. I want the worship to be excellent. But the question is from God is that worship is only excellent to the extent that you and I are excellent people. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information on classes, upcoming events, or how to get involved, visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.